This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. So on this episode, I'm joined by a great human, someone that I respect massively in the media. He's transitioned out of the game to become one of the leading voices in this great game that we love. It's the wonderful, the powerful, the tanned David Flatman. Get in. Big Jim is wearing his heels. Marching around the town to get some thrills. But it's time to go in now. And he's big and red. A shot of black coffee, now he's super dead. He gets loud. I'm a big dick house. I showed him some whiskey and he shoot it like a ball. So, Flats, I appreciate you making the effort to yeah, come hey, across. No problem. It's nice to get out of the house, Jim. It's lovely here, isn't it? Isn't we it did nice? say that. It is an amazing studio. It is genuinely very, very posh indeed. You're the roughest bloke that's ever been in here, I reckon. I know. I had Ben Gulliver in here. No, actually, I didn't. No, so arguably, yes. You are roughest. I do yeah. make Ravo as well. He's pretty rough. Yeah. He's, he's from Hinkley, which is Oh, right. Off. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you're top two. We say that Ian Wright was next door, just before us. Righty. Oh, my mate Righty. Yeah. You said you Is knew that, him. Yeah. Great mate of mine. Well, no, that's not true. I did like a motorbike day with, yeah, this motorbike. Brand. Are we allowed, is this one of these things where we're worried about saying brands No, and stuff? you can swear, say brands. No, I'm ma- wearing my Harley hat. Oh, You're right. going to say Triumph, aren't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I love Harley as well. My mate works Triumph, so he's like, do you want to come and do this day where we just scud around a load of bikes? Yeah, yeah. So Ian Wright's coming. I said, mate, I love Wrighty. I'm a Crystal Palace fan from the old days and an Arsenal fan. He's like number one, Wrighty and Brighty. And um, Wicked Day and Ian Wright, he probably won't thank me. He won't hear this. He killed a clutch on one bike, completely killed it. And it was a brand new bike. Don't muck around on a bike, mind. He goes quick. And then we had this big day together, really good crack. And fast forward about six months. And I was somewhere that I'll say openly, I don't really like that much. I don't love. I was at Soho Farmhouse. And I like the gym because I'm I'm I love uh, working out. Anyway, I'm in the sort of the room there, the restaurant bit. And Wrighty walks in. There with my girlfriend and her mum. They're like, oh, I see him right. It's your mate. I said, oh, that's right. I said, he won't recognise me. And he looked over. And from the other side of the room, he's like, oh, he pointed at me. His big leather jacket on, about three sizes too big. He walks over, takes his flat cap off. And I stood up and I said, I bet you don't know my name. I was like, right. He walked over and went, 
big man. <laughs> no idea, mate. No idea. No idea. I could hear my girlfriend saying, tell him your name. I was like, no, he doesn't need to know my name. Big man's fine. Well, he's right, big man. As we saw each other upstairs as we came in, you're looking incredible. Not that you weren't looking well before. I think it's the tan, but you had your... Bum bag. Bum bag. Bum bag. Like bum Sorry, bag, bum yeah. bag, yeah. All into that. I'm not in great shape. I went to the gym this morning. My... Um, as soon as we can plug brands, my mate Ollie Hayes, who played, he says he played for Worcester in Bristol in the front row. I never saw him play. Carried bags a bit. He's got a gym called SoFit in Bath. And if you Google it, it's the, he's the guy that James Haskell had a massive rant on online and called his gym his wife's shed and said he was a nobody or something like that. And he'll, he'll always be skin. He'll always be a no, whatever it was. My first session back after a summer off with him this morning and he weighs me in. He walks in. He's not of the new school. He's like, mate, you don't look that bad, but you do look fat. You look fatter than you should, so get on there. 126 kilos. That's a lot. I'm only six foot. That's a lot. I should be 120, 118, and I'm 126. So I'm not in great nick. And I also woke up this morning and I realised there are people who've played rugby and people who are in much worse nick than we are. We're walking around. We're fine. Like We are okay, but my shoulders are shot. And I woke up this morning and my left shoulder, it's not that it doesn't work. It's just that it really hurts. So I get to the gym and I said, I'll warm up in a minute. But I took a coffee in the car on the way there and I couldn't drink it because I couldn't steer my left hand. I couldn't drink it my left hand. And for Christ's sake, the whole workout, it didn't work. And even now, I've got to Paddington just now, an hour ago, and I'm looking in boots for 55p for ibuprofen. How cheap's that? Yeah, I, try, I don't take it. I need to actually need yeah, but some. I don't, I take, don't it, take it. But, but I'm like, I was cheap. in so much pain that it's still knackered now. It's cheaper than CBD. Yeah. But talking of rugby and without topping you with pain, but I am in significant pain. Are you? Played in... Uh, Billy oh yeah, series. how was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not great. So th- we played against the classic. I'm calling it Ed Slater's game, by the way. Is yeah, we changed it. that. It kind of moved to yeah. Slater's game. That's where I got roped in. So I was like a hard no, and then obviously having Slates in here, having done the cycle yeah. ride, I've now got the association with the hashtag Four Red. I'm in, and I'm starting. And you talk about the scale as Banners is playing. Yeah. So Matt Banahan, what do you reckon? Well, he's what? He's six seven. He's heavy. He's a heavy bloke. Hundred and fifteen. Hundred twenty seven. Wow. Hundred twenty seven oh, kgs. He's heavier than me. Heavy, and he looks big as well. We, look, we don't want a body shame, but he's bringing shame on his family there, isn't he? He's let himself down badly. That's too heavy. That's what I thought until he got out there and was carving up. Of course, he's melting people. He's a freak, mate. Well, that's what I mean. That's the thing, Flat. So these lads have just retired. You have got him. You've got Garves, Matt Garvey yeah. as well, who is a big man. He was a pro five minutes ago, Garves as well. Yeah. And, and they weren't accepting this. This was the thing. Luckily, they're on my team, but still, like when they're carrying, and even if they're stepping into your channel and hitting you, like you're feeling it. And we played against the Classic Lions, and they had a, a couple of big Tongan lads who they walked in, didn't smile. I'm thinking, fuck. <laughs> Apparently, Phil Vickery gave them a team talk. <laughs> Before, so Cheers, Phil. I yeah. do not want to play. So before the game, I can't piss about because I, I've got to be in it, right? So I've got to be heading to try and play the game properly. And there weren't one part of it that I enjoyed. Hooky was playing 10, James Hook for them. First handoff in the chest, whiplash. And I'm like, I fucking hate rugby. Yeah. I can't do it. Yeah. Contact. And then Banners, Allard Brew were going at it. Like, So you had the lads on there. Allard Brew's a big man as well with a lot of power. Who wanted it still? I was like, mate, you still want it. I don't. Yeah. Like, here's the gap. Take I it. Don't run don't over me. Yeah. And, he's, yeah. and he's trying to run over me. I'm trying to tackle him with my hands. And my hands ain't working. And I know, having spoken to you, watched you for a long time, played against you and spoken to you since we retired, you for a long time couldn't actually tackle with your shoulders. You mm. had to tackle your chest and arms because your shoulders were like jelly. Same as mine. It's like if these 90-degree tackles, these chop tackles that Cowan Dickey and Joe Marler put in, one of those, recon for me. That is a recon straight away. <laughs> Mate, if I'd have tried to drink this coffee I've got now an hour ago, I'm back in surgery. 
never mind 90 degree tackles. It's like I can only tackle with my moves. With that my was tits, the only it. thing. Flats, the only thing in the whole game. We did a line out, scored a drive first up, went up in the air, hadn't jumped in five years, came down, placement <laughs> was great, landing was great. A few breakdowns, it was weird going into it, closed arms. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah. So putting your head in there at first. A couple of carries, offloads, like went on the floor, knocked on, but I'm not going to be judged on that. <laughs> it was the tackling. It was like when someone ran towards you, the body did not want to tackle. The shoulder didn't yeah. want to go low. It was like my hands. It's funny that, like, I won't play again because my shoulders are shot. My Achilles is, I injured my Achilles in 04 and it's still bad now. Yesterday I'm driving and I have to stop and take my shoe off and get out of the car and do some exercise. It's too sore. And then the next day they'd be fine for a week and then it'll kill for a day and it's just a bit rubbish. So I think if I play, it will snap. There's a lot of weight going through it these days. But like the one thing, I don't miss rugby at all, like I'm sure you don't physically. The one thing I miss is collisions, like not rucks and scrums. I would love just once a month to have a few head-on tackles to make. Like I loved it. My shoulders didn't love it so much, but I... The feeling. Oh yeah, I'd love to. Not that I was a big hit or anything like that. I didn't have the timing, but it was like... I do the massive collisions. That is the only bit I crave. Like if I could just play a charity game and just have 10 people steaming into me, I would quite like that. <laughs> and then go home. I'd, I'd miss a load of them. But I miss that bang, bang. I don't miss anything else. It's the running in between I couldn't do and the catching, I couldn't catch it. You know, yeah. useless. Well, Flats, let's talk about the lay of the land with rugby. Now, I know we could probably do this podcast for three hours. There's week, so much yeah. to talk Breaking about. Breaking only for water. Of course, yeah. the gym and... Flat show. Yeah. Goody and Shank's going to hate us, aren't they? Yeah, but they are, yeah. It's important that me and you have a chat about this yeah. because we've had conversations about a couple of things around salary cap, the concussion stuff. Mm. You were quite open with me. I loved it. You called me out. We had a chat about it. We did it how you properly meant to do it. But as we sit here now, because this is going to be evergreen, this is going to go out yeah. for months and years, and people are going to come back and be like, oh, these two Hold legends. us to account. Of yeah. course. So this is now the week after the Worcester stuff got announced. The mm. lads have just been paid, but there's all this stuff going on with Worcester, the concussion stuff. Michael Lippman <laughs> interview has just been released this morning. We had a brief chat about that. But just as a whole, as a snapshot, you're in the media, I'm tier two media, but we're close to the game. Yeah. We're close to the game. And when you look at it from an English point of view, let's have a look at the Prem, because all these numbers got released. Mm. Are you confident that we're still going to be in and around the players? This game is still going to exist? I think I am confident, but there's definitely an element of that is fingers crossed because I want it to survive. I think rugby will survive, but I think that actually, as with a lot of things, you know, turn on your telly, there's a, there's a lot of things that whose impacts could have been lessened had some sort of decisive action been taken earlier. And I think we're already using hindsight rather too much in English rugby, and I feel like it's easy for me to say because I'm just at home making toast and hoping else someone someone makes the decisions that keeps the game alive. It's not me doing it. So I'm being generous with someone else's livelihood and decision-making processes here. But I feel like some big decisions have to be made. I think on the concussion piece, the CTE piece, whatever you want to call it, you know, you, you sent me this morning on WhatsApp the clip from Michael Lippman on Twitter on a chat show in Oz. I was with Lippy a couple of weeks ago in Oz. A few weeks ago, we met up, old teammates at Bath, of course, and... Horrible, absolutely awful. I'm an old teammate and mate of Steve Thompson's and played against Alex Popham. And, and I know these guys like you do, same generation of players. I think if rugby is to survive, and I think by survive, I mean not can rugby's various governing bodies withstand all the lawsuits that are coming, because there will probably be a precedent set there which allows the unions to survive those, even if there are payouts or whatever. I can't see these lawsuits folding the, the global game. 
because the global game existed before money was around and before professionalism started and there's 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 a lot of rugby was played before the game went pro and all those things but I think rugby needs to be decisive at some point. World rugby, we know, you know, I listened to your pod with Dr. Phil Ribbons, uh, which is great, Professor Phil Ribbons, which is great. And world rugby, again, as he said, you know, laudably are investing in research and that stuff. And that's great. You know, those results will help justify some reasonably aggressive action on it. But I really, that it's about are mums and dads going to want their kids playing rugby in the next 20 years as a rule. I mean, there will always be some that just do, but I think it's 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 about those people who are undecided and they want their kids to have a thing. They want their kids to play a bit of sport at school or at weekends. What sport do they pick? Because, of course, the kid guides that to a point, but I didn't pick rugby. My dad picked rugby for me. So it, I was always going to play rugby because I was from a rugby house, but it was kind of chosen for me. I'm very pleased it was. I couldn't have done anything else. You well, know. he was saw you. He saw you eating five bowls of <laughs> cereal <laughs> yeah, exactly, every, exactly, yeah. every morning. Exactly, yeah, whole milk. And it's you know, it's, I, it was obvious and genetically it was obvious, whatever. So there's that. I, I think that's is does the game survive? So in one sense, are the unions forced to pay out so much money in lawsuits that the professional game falls? I, I feel that's unlikely, and I hope it doesn't happen. I want the best for the guys. But also, it's about participation and numbers and how many kids play and all that kind of stuff. So. There's all sorts of interesting conversations about the removal of tactical substitutions. And also, I think, like, why does it have to be permanent? Why don't we trial it for two seasons? Two seasons or three seasons or one season is nothing. It's nothing. It's a click of the fingers. It's just no time. Why don't we try it? And to that end... Try what specifically? Why don't you have fewer players on a bench? Why don't you have no substitutions, no tactical substitutions? So the game is all-powerful, all anyone talks about. You and I have spoken about it. These young fellas, they're all massive units and all, all that stuff. You know, more than half a team is replaceable within 80 minutes. So lots of players don't, or very rarely, have to play 80 minutes of rugby. Now, if you want to reduce someone's power, make them run. That is why the world's strongest men don't look like bodybuilders a lot of the time. They don't move any further than they have to. So if you want to take it from a sort of a serve and volley game, you sort of, even Isovich, take it to a Nadal and longer rallies, more fitness, all that sort of stuff, more minutes would mean that. Of course, there's. I feel like that is at least worthy of trying. It's at least worth trying. And then that kind of combines with the financial thing, but I'll get to that in a sec. I think where we went when the, all the red cards for high tackles started happening, it felt mad. It felt like you can't have a game now without a red. It still feels a bit like that sometimes. But I think for so long, it, it was such a big adjustment was needed for the safety of people playing is the most important thing. Not just us lot in the pros. We get the best medical care. It's Bob and Sue on a Sunday morning on their own in a field somewhere in Somerset. You know, that's who it's really about. It felt a bit crazy and it was there was probably, we might still be in it, a period of overcompensation. But I think that's necessary because so little was happening beforehand in terms of safety and so much was allowed because we loved it and everyone loved it. Like State of Origin now, it's not as much brawling. But when there was brawling, you fucking loved it and I fucking loved it and they fucking loved it and the fans fucking loved it, right? That's the point. But that isn't good enough anymore in rugby. It's still good enough in boxing and MMA. In rugby, it's not good enough anymore. It's becoming more transparent people are scrutinizing it more and more and rightly because it's the safety of themselves and their children that we're talking about so I think we'll it will probably come back and there will be a slightly more common sense approach to refereeing and it'll get more and more common sense led as time goes on I think it's getting there a bit now there will always be anomalies there will always be stuff we disagree with but that sort of pulls it into the financial piece and that's a much larger conversation and again it's worth 
asserting that I am not an expert. We are not experts in this. These are just opinions. And a lot of them are speculative. Their guesses really is what they are. Slightly educated guesses, but guesses really. And Premiership rugby, English rugby clubs spend too much money. They spend more money than they bring in as a rule. So people just say, to you know, rugby's a business now. Well, it is, but it's not a very good one. Mm. It's not a business that works. You know, it's a, it's a loss-making business year after year after year in almost, in almost every case. So maybe if you have fewer subs, maybe you don't need as many players in your squad. Maybe that's a way to save money. Of course, that means some lads are going to not have contracts, which is brutal. But it currently spends too much money. So it's really, it feels like a massive answer, but there's so much to talk about. But I... There is the physical safety and financial safety are the two major issues facing rugby at the moment and specifically English rugby. Worcester's given everyone a shock. I absolutely agree with what Steve Diamond said that they are just the first club to you know, potentially fall, but there are other clubs that are perilously close to being in the same situation and that's not good enough, but you can change it. You know, there needs to be some decisive action and there will be lots of mini injustices. There will be lots of, in inverted commas, sort of financial casualties and in casualties in terms of in terms of employment, lots of P45s handed out, which is brutal. But if something isn't done, eventually, you, again, you are crossing your fingers that the game survives, and that won't be enough because there are lots of other viable alternatives for people to go and do. That also buys into the whole thing about growing the game, or whatever that means, growing the game. I do think that the whole safety thing is massively important when it relates to concussion, when it relates to CTE, early onset dementia. It's massively important. But I'm not one of these glib ex-pros that says don't over-sanitise the game or it loses what it is. The game's gone soft. I don't believe that. I think rugby is way harder than it ever was. It's way harder. It's horrible. Less violent, but way harder on the body than it was when we played than it was 30 years ago. But I do think that an acceptance from people who make decisions in rugby and people who are involved in rugby that rugby actually isn't for everyone is fine. There are some people who don't want any part of a sport that aggressive or confrontational some people don't like team sports. They're like, in whatever. This whole thing that we have to make rugby appeal to everybody and we have to sanitise it to sort of bring in, reduce the controlled violence within it to such a point that it appeals to everyone. Firstly, you'll never get there. Secondly, I don't think you need to aim that wide. I mean, rugby, it's just okay. for rug Rugby's not a tiny sport. It's a huge sport. It's nothing like football, but it's big. But it doesn't have to be for everybody. And I think if that is your aim, that's somewhere you might never get. And I think it's a point of time that we're in where we've all got an opinion, everyone's got an opinion, everyone are problem makers yeah. as opposed to problem solvers. That's arguably what we are. Yeah. We're talking about it, so we're making a problem that is already a problem, but we've got no solutions apart from some of them which we'll go through like in terms of ideas that you've got. But I look at the NFL now, they've managed, I know it's a completely different sport, but they've managed to migrate their way through such a tough period with the lawsuits that they went through, the player welfare issue that they went through, to the point now where, you know, Lady Gaga's there, Eminem, fucking 50 Cent. There's this big fanfare around it. All the sponsors are coming in. It feels like we're in the middle yeah. of this. I don't even want to call it drama because it, it, it's much needed drama. And I know we spoke a while ago around my initial views on rugby and how us as young men, as boys, as young adults signed up for what we signed up for at that time and obviously a lot has changed since then mm. more knowledge has come out but it feels like NFL has managed to get through that commercially and from a numbers point of view the worry is though I think is around the kids like my wife for example and I'm happy to put this out there doesn't really want my kids to play rugby and it's not necessarily based on the head injuries or anything like that it's more about the state of my body 
coming through the door. Mm. And I try and say to her, look, well, you know, we would never have this life. We wouldn't have the kids. You know, you wouldn't be with me. <laughs> I'd be on the building site, do you know what I mean, mm. with whoever else. So this wouldn't have happened. But I think there is a worry, isn't there, because of the time that we are now in. And there's so much other choices, you know, online, gaming, all these things. And I suppose you're trying to give the listeners flats, like the reasons to do it. Are we going to get through this? How long do you think it's going to take? Because it feels like we are right in the middle of it. Well, I think firstly, I'm not an NFL expert by any means. I like the odd highlights package, and that sort of stuff, but I know bugger all about it. What I feel reasonably confident of, though, is that the NFL didn't just weather the storm and get through it. I expect there were some very big decisions from some very clever people who were heavily invested in the sport to get them through it because nothing, I think probably except football, nothing is invincible as a you know, professional sport. No sport is invincible as a professional ident- uh, entity. So I don't know if it could have killed the NFL altogether, but it could have done it a lot more damage than it did. So it's probably in some respects really poorly managed, hence the payouts, hence the problem. But in other senses, probably well managed in the aftermath of actually some very real tragedy. So I think rugby has to really think about it. It has to be clever. It also has to be dynamic. So I think that the benefits of playing rugby, the benefits of playing a team sport, you know, I I love football as well and I like lots of other sports, but rugby is particularly special because physically it's so hard. So I do buy into the fact that rugby needs to be a particularly edgy, aggressive, horrible sport. I do. I don't mean people getting gouged and punched and kicked. I mean, there needs to be some physical jeopardy. You need to be worried about getting smashed. You need to get your body positions right. It needs to be a little bit threatening. Threatening enough that you feel nervous before you play. That's all I mean in terms of contact, control contacts. And I think that is part of the charm. Equally, that's what makes it, yes, it's a bit risky, but it makes it particularly special because as you will know, and a lot of your listeners will know, but some won't, when you go to really, really tough, you're in really, really tough physical spots with people and you make it through and you rely on them and they deliver for you and they rely on you and you deliver for them or you let them down and they forgive you and they try again and they still fight for you. It is particularly special and it's probably a diluted a reduced version for you know version of what it's like to be in the forces so the risks are you know minute compared with that but you'll have acquaintances that are in special forces you will have military acquaintances I have too there is a bond that is really hard to replicate in I think an office arena because they're emotionally stressed in terms of stress levels you can be in really tough spots there's something about being really physically up against it and digging in for each other I think they are wonderful things to have you've got built-in mates at a rugby club that's the same for any team sport socially they're great I think the the sort of lads 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 is probably less laddie than it really was there's still a bit of that which is fine because it's fun I feel like the rugby clubs I go to is a couple of rugby clubs locally that I go to semi-regularly I live in Bath and we end up at lots of places don't we it feels like one of the most accepting, universally accepting environments I can imagine. But I think there are many, many pros to playing rugby. There is a physical risk and there will always be a physical risk. And I'm not going to be so glib as to say, well, you can fall out of a tree when you're climbing a tree. But if you choose to play rugby, you know that you might get injured every now and again and that's all right. But I think the head issues, are the, the concussion issue, the brain damage issues, I think that until we can, A, get as much information as quickly as possible on that and publicise it widely and clearly and 
until we can actually take some real steps to show that we are, apart from yellows and red cards, that's good, that's working, I expect, but or I hope, but actually take some real steps to experiment with new things for kids as well as for pros, I think there is going to be a larger number and a growing number of parents who say no thanks. Yeah, I think when you look at the game now and it's changed, I've been retired five years. What are you? Are you not? Ten years. Ten years. Yeah. The difference between even the five years when I played to what it is now, the difference, the space between elite professional rugby and grassroots, it's not even comparable. Mm. That That isn't a path that many people will make. So when we talk about rugby, we're talking about it on a slightly different level because we're talking about the guys who are getting paid. You know, I interviewed Ben Gulliver, these guys that are in the championship, they're getting paid, but they're not getting paid enough. But when actually the masses are not going to get paid because that is the worry, isn't it, that you go into a rugby clubhouse in five, ten years' time, probably a little bit further down the track, and people can't field teams, especially in England where the numbers are, are so high. Mm. You know, I put something out on Twitter before, and we can get onto this stuff, is rugby fucked? Because there is a feeling of that. I think it because we're in the middle of it, there's a feeling of that, but we haven't really approached any sort of resolution yet. You'd hope that these panels of people are thinking about, and governing bodies are thinking about how to fix it, but it's not just how to fix it for now. It's like if someone else comes in and, God willing, at the point of recording, no one's come in and bought Worcester as far as we know. I'd love someone to go in and buy Worcester and, you know, get the sandwiches out for the lads and get the new kits printed up and away they go. Wouldn't that be great? But it, it ultimately doesn't serve to solve the problem in the, the medium to long term, which is premiership rugby clubs spend more money than they have. I don't think the finances of the pro game particularly affect the amateur game, amateur tenancies, except if clubs start folding and suddenly there's no pro game to go and watch in your area. There's that sort of stuff. So I think the foundations of a lot of these premiership clubs are, you know, fundamentally a bit wobbly because it's just one rich dude in a lot of these clubs, hopefully sticking around and being willing to lose millions. And that's great. But when they get tired of it, Football seems to have an, you know, a never-ending conveyor belt of people that want to buy these clubs for zillions of quid. Rugby may have that, it may not. So I think getting the house in order financially would guarantee in the medium to long term that Premiership Rugby and whatever guys, Premiership Rugby clubs all still exist and can thrive. Then you start thinking about the the sort of the safety piece and thinking, well, the quicker we can demonstrably take steps on that, I think the more readily we will reassure parents because I've got three girls one's a baby she don't count yet she can't blow it my girls played a bit of touch rugby in the summer down in Devon a few weeks ago they've never done it before I've never tried to push them into it and they loved it and they haven't mentioned it they're starting school again in a couple of days they haven't mentioned playing any rugby at school they can if they want it will be touch at their age I think I would be 50 50 I would want to know about the coaching I would want to know a bit more you know I've got mates whose kids have had concussions and they're completely right with it you know that's fine they're not right or wrong I'm uncomfortable with that. When I was young, everyone wanted to box. Yeah, look at a boxing club. And my, my parents were like, go if you want, but we don't want you to be in a boxer because we know what happens. They get brain damage. But what you need to do is take real demonstrative steps before rugby gets to the point where people say, no way. You know what happens with rugby players. So to close this part of it, I think you gave some solutions as a problem solver, not <laughs> yeah. a maker. So... Yeah. And we are different on a, few, on, on a few things, which is great. That's the whole part of the conversation. I mean, you've mentioned substitutions. So you, would you say, say right now? I mean, it could change. That's fine. Changing your mind in the future, listeners, is fine. Changing your mind's fine. You know, I spoke to Sean O'Brien, Irish rugby legend about it a couple of months ago. We were at a thing. What do you reckon? He goes, just, I wish people would just leave the game alone and stop it. And I thought, you know, it's a really interesting perspective because it seemed obvious to me to stop the tactical substitutes. Then I think, well, 
think about myself in the last 20 minutes of half the games I played 80 minutes in over the years. You could argue it was unsafe for me to be out there. I was so fucked, man. That's my point. There was one game I played against Leicester and they always said, if you give us everything, it was a semi prem semi-final, boiling hot, up at Welford Road, you give us everything and if you if you fuck, you put your hand up. And it was me against Castro, Giovanni. So I started the game and Castro had a couple of good scrums. He had one good scrum after half time. So the first half, he was... Can I get technical for a sec? Yeah, please. Right, front row is three on each side, heads to the left. So Castro would wait till I was set and he'd step right. Shoots or George, whoever it was, would say step. And he'd say even say step and they'd step right. And I think George said step. I can't remember. He might pull me up on that when he listens to this. But Castro Giovanni would set up outside me. I meant to be to his left. But as I look at him and he's slotting in between me and Lee Mears, he was to my left. So I said to the ref, he's outside me. Because what he's trying to do is whack in on me and get me on an angle, shove my head in towards the hooker, swing my hips out, go straight through. Illegal, but good on him for trying. No problem with that. I said, he's outside me. So a couple of times we go to engage, bit of a shit fight. You know, no one chins anyone, but it's a bit messy. Goes down, goes up. Then I said to the ref, I got to the scrum and I was smiling at this point from memory. My memory could be inaccurate. And I said, he's outside me. It's heads to the left, mate. It always has been. And I watch him and I just said, watch him, watch him. And Castro literally stepped to his right outside me. And I said, look at him. And the ref basically looked at me like, one more complaint, you're getting done. So I was so angry at that point. I steamed through Castro at a massive scrum. We had a couple of big scrums in that half and things were going great. After half time, he had one good scrum and then he's given it all the Vamos chat. Vamos! I was like, where have you been for the last 45 minutes, pal? <laughs> all right, he's a legend and I'm jealous. But where? And he, he bounced me at one point when he had the ball as well. I went up high, missed him, but not good. But then I was flat out in this game and it was hot and I was a bit fat and whatever. So I was, you know, about 55, 60 minutes, I'm toast. And the physio comes on to treat someone else. And he says to me, how you doing? I said, I'm fucked, mate. I'm done. I'm done. I've never said that ever. I am done. I'm absolutely empty. And he said, you've got to stay on for a bit. You've got to stay on for a bit. Dan Cole comes on. Decent unit in the end, he turned out to be. I remember going into a scrum and bending down and my legs were shaking with fatigue before I engaged. I'm just, I'm knackered. So I'm up for it, but I'm just tired, mate. And Coley gets a penalty, kick the points. Coley gets another penalty, kick the points. We lose whatever it was by those points is how I remember it. They subbed me off the last after I asked to be subbed off, bring on Nathan Cat, who does a great job, stands up perfectly well to Dan Cole, no problems. And we lost the game anyway. But I'm thinking if I'd been on there another 15, 20 minutes. You're so- you're wanting that for Fraser Balmain now, aren't you? <laughs> I want Fraser. Hey. I want Fraser doing <laughs> 90s. Right. My point is, it would be uncomfortable for a period of time. But if you want the game to become slightly more aerobic, anaerobic, don't know which one, and less power, 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 then actually Fraser Balmain is, I mean, he's not a giant bloke. He's a big, strong man. He's a big old block. His physique would have to change a little bit. Just a little bit. He would end up naturally probably being a couple of kilos lighter, better in fitness tests, a bit more super rugby of the old generation than Prem, a bit less top 14. And I think that's all right. If you give the teams enough warning, you change your pre-season a bit. And Fraser spends eight or nine weeks running a lot more but the idea of everyone getting tired together I think seems sensible to me and I've got no medical qualifications whatsoever to back that up so no subs anything else I think quite an interesting one might be the jackal what would happen to the game if you ruled out a jackal I jackaled once in 14 years how did it feel I loved I love the jackal not that it's about me but I'm going to tell you I was unreal at the jackal mate you're lucky because no you're 6'9 but you've got long arms for me, it was like, imagine cutting your arms off at the elbow. It was like trying to get yeah. those around a ball. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, arms like a crocodile, mate. 
What do you think to that? What do you think would happen to I it? could arguably see that being changed because there's been some horrific injuries mm. of lads now. And this is the whole evolution of the game. Like, So once someone gets good at Jacqueline, well, you've got to find a way of clearing them out. So then you evolve and you play close to the line around the laws and the rules of that. Like at Saracens, I remember, I mean, as many people listen to this, as you know, I was a, a bench player, cannon fodder effectively. So I'm the man in training because I was I just taught myself up there because I was half decent at Jacqueline. Personal assistant to the Saracens second rows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jim, get in there. Get in there. Yeah. Right. Young Marrow, have a run up at that. Billy, have a run up at that. Oh, I can't clear him. So next thing, they're coming in at the side and then they're fucking rolling me out. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Ah, you know, I've only got one year left on my contract, so I didn't want to be in there again. So Kelly Brown got himself in there, and then Petrus was getting fucking blitzed out as well. Yeah. So we were the cannon fodder, but mm. that's what I mean. I do agree with you around the jackal. Try it. Give everyone fair warning. Help all the coaches. Give them. You're not changing it by Tuesday. Try it. Away from the safety of the game, which is obviously what we want to talk about, but now we're talk about, but now we're segueing. You'd yeah. hate this one, okay? So scrum, free kick. And then they go for the scrum again. And I loved scrummaging. I loved it. Slowed the game down. Yeah. Used to love pushing. Yeah. But I don't think you should be allowed to do it. I think it needs to be a tap and go, play away. I don't agree with that because <laughs> no, no, what you you, it's, it's not because I, lo- I love scrums. I get as bored by scrums that take forever as you do. I've got a different solution to that. But uh, scrum clock doesn't work. Like in terms of stop the clock for scrums, doesn't work because then it's like take as long as we want them. And the TV companies can't have that. They need to know roughly when they're getting off air. TV is very important to the game of rugby. There's no money there without it. There's a huge amount of pressure on referees. What you're saying is, turn the tables. I can give away a free kick. I can go early. A five-metre scrum where you're going to try and punish us. I can go early, give away a free kick, and you can't scrummage against me again. I've got to get out. We can take turns giving away free kicks. It's really, really easy to give away a free kick in a scrum. Just go in early. There's lots of things you can do to give... Well, well, that's one. There aren't that many. But you can give away free kicks... And if I've given away two or three and the ref says, do you know what, that's enough, it's a penalty now, then actually they can just sub me off and bring on another guy and he can give away two or three before he gets into trouble. It gives someone a get out. And whether you think that's cynical or nobody would do it, somebody would do it. I played against Wasps. I love Wasps. I love Lowell and Oyers boys. They went on, dominated a brilliant team. I played against Wasps in the era when they just so often went to uncontested scrums. And I realise I'm saying this publicly and it might turn out to be twice ever. My memory is they repeatedly went to uncontested scrums because their scrum was good but not great and the rest of their game was great and it got in the way with it. I was on the field in a, I think it was a premiership semi-final, I think it was, a playoff, something like that, against Wasps and I came off the bench, impact, there'd be finishers, yeah? By my reckoning, I would never have got on the field that day, but <laughs> yeah, I got there, I got an appearance, got an app, got your match bonus, didn't. And I got on and I watched... And I was like, I'm coming on and I'm going to kill this scrum. That's all I'm doing. I'm not good at anything else. I'm going to kill them. And they knew I was going to get into them. They knew it was coming. Not that I was some scrummaging god, but they were tired. We had a better scrum than them. And I was better than the guy who I was playing against, who in brackets was out of position. I saw, I am confident, I could be wrong. I am confident I saw someone come on and tell him, you need to go down. And I am <laughs> confident I saw him say, not doing it. I'm not doing it. And they said, you fucking are doing it. And he basically did it and wouldn't look at me because he was given team instructions like Formula One, you get off the field now. So I come on ready to kill people, tear up trees in the scrum. It's a close match. I'm going to win us penalties. I'm going to get us field position. I'm going to toast this bloke. And he goes off with a mystery injury that he didn't have before I came on. And you're absolutely worthless now. I'm, I'm now worthless. Cause what, what am I, I'm a liability around the field, mate. What am I going to do? I'm like, I'm like a tree stump around the field. So I'm like, right, I played through it. And it was unbelievably frustrating. Salary cap. We are different on this again. You might manipulate me. 
with <laughs> your depth of or answer. You. you might convince me that I yeah. think differently. Now, just hear me out on this, a few different things, and you can give your opinion and tell me why I'm potentially wrong. I, under- right. I understand the state of the game. We can see it. I've kind of known the state of the game for a while, as probably you have as well, and we felt it's not sustainable. And then now as these big dogs come through, let's use Marrow, Genji obviously came out, just to name two at the start. And then we start to hear the rumours of salaries coming in. You know, we can name them. Guys like Bigger, 700 grand plus. Jesus. 40 wants to say. You can't live on that in Northampton, mate. You can't. Well, there's no all you can eat Chinese. So if you're in there every <laughs> night, potentially, because that's gone up 30 quid. Obviously, 40 wants a salary. You know, then Faz goes in and says, well, look, if these are getting paid that, then the marquee player comes in. Peter Tao's on a million pound. So-and-so is going to come in. He wants 850 grand as a marquee. The South Africans start coming in. Then all of a sudden, it kind of spirals out of control. Then the Saracen stuff happens. I know we spoke about the Saracen stuff on the phone and you manipulate, convinced me <laughs> to understand the sustainability of Saracens by having a, a John Smith mm. bring through Jamie George and we can talk about that as well. But I, and I'm quite big on this and I understand the state of the game at the minute. And there's a part of me that looks at now with Worcester and the players, whether or not they're bought out and whether or not it, it materializes that these players can't go elsewhere in the Prem because they're now cut off with a salary cap. I know they're talking about potentially opening that back up solely for the players. But we're talking about the game, what we've played in, one of the most physical games on the planet, one of the best games on the planet, yet the ability isn't there. And I know that sports have salary caps. And I'm not talking about an endless pot of money. I just can't see how a league like in France, but I understand commercially with the TV deal, Canel Plus, it's a completely different model. Mm. How players in there can get paid a significant amount of money. And the URC is the same. Speak about Leinster. Obviously, there is no salary cap. Yet in the English Premiership, where we've got one of the best leagues in the world, we're completely pulling back on what players can get paid. I'm a big believer in there's no loyalty in sport. Yes, there is a little bit, but mainly there's not because, you know, I don't know who's looking after you from Bath for your body and your shoulders and stuff like that. Exactly. There, There is nothing. So there is no loyalty in sport. It's a short career. Genji obviously came out and said, you know, he, he wants to get paid as much as he can. Of course, the coaches are getting paid as much as they want to get paid, of course. And that's where I just feel with the salary cap, there's got to be a limit. I get that. But I do feel as if, well, one, it's got out of control. We know that. And maybe these are the reasons why it's got to. I don't believe it is. I don't believe we're at this point with Worcester and with other clubs because the salaries have got out of control. I think there's other elements to it. But you're big on the salary cap and salaries not being as high as I believe they should be. Naturally, you know, you compare the premierships to top 14, it's what you do. It's kind of, it's a version of like for like, isn't it? It's domestic competition. But that's like saying, my neighbour's got a Ferrari. Why haven't I got, why can't I have a Ferrari? We're both in marketing. Yeah, but he earns 400 grand a year and you earn 100 grand a year. You can't have a Ferrari. He earns more than you. He works for a different company that pay more. So it is like for like in the sense that it's domestic rugby league, but their TV rights packages are significantly more valuable. They have two competitive leagues, the top 14 and the Pro Dider, the Pro Dider, which I think is um, makes a massive difference, a massive difference because you have competitive large crowds in Pro Dider. You have big name clubs dropping down and giving credibility and visibility to the second tier. And the, the crowds are generally bigger. There are Pro Dider crowds, which are the same bigger than premiership crowds, I'm right in saying on average. So there is more visibility televisually, more, there are more spectators and all that sort of stuff. So you, you can compare it if you want, but whatever you think players should get paid, firstly, 
I'm not one of those guys who bitter because the lads get more than I do. They don't. I earn tons. No, I didn't. I bugger all. <laughs> but I want the lads to earn as much as possible. But no matter what you want and what you think it should look like and the nice view of it and say, we're going to stop attracting the best athletes because they're going to go somewhere else because we can only pay them 150 bags instead of 500 bags, that sort of stuff. They're all legitimate concerns and your desires are all legitimate because they're yours. But you cannot get away from the fact that premiership clubs do not have enough money to pay players what they are currently paying them and break even. Not just players. For their outgoings to where they're currently. Most premiership clubs, they don't bring in as much as they spend. They are losing money, right? Lots and lots of these clubs are losing money, which simply means that unless they can transform their revenues, which would be pretty handy because then they'll have more spending money, until that happens, they have to reduce their outgoings on the pitch and off it, by the way, or it remains an unsustainable model. Now, the key thing is that's the first step you've got to take. So I wholly support the reduction in salary cap. And the lads probably hate that because it means there are lads getting paid less. I get it. Didn't happen to us. I get it. But I wholly support that because the clubs can't afford to pay them out. And all you need is the one more owner to say, do you know what? I'm out. Sod this. I'm out. I'm losing three million quid a year, two million quid a year. I can't be asked anymore. Unless I'm worth 300 million, these are big chunks of money, right? So they are anyway. So I think that's the first step to take is reduce outlay, is reduce your outgoings because we all want rugby to be sustainable and be confident. The safety thing, the financial thing, what we're talking about here is the financial thing going into the future. Let's pay players more. If you're losing a million pounds and you sign two players for 500, you are then losing two million pounds unless you can produce a million pounds of extra revenue because of those two players, which leaves you back at square one losing a million pounds, right? So it doesn't work. Your financial advisor would never advise you to spend more on the same stuff that's forced, you know, causing you to lose all this money. It doesn't happen. It's a nice vision, but it doesn't ha- doesn't work that way, I don't think. So there's that. And then you first step, reduce outgoings. Second step, but ideally happening concurrently, is think of ways to boost revenue, boost visibility, grow the value of the game so that TV rights pay. They basically reimburse club owners. They pay the game more, pay the clubs more. You know, one way to do that is to try and aim, you know, it'll take a while, but aim at the French system of having two really competitive, fully televised leagues. I think it'd be really, really appealing. And I think there are too many games, right? Everyone agrees rugby players play too many games. Why don't you make the league smaller? Like have eight in one, eight in another, 10 in one, whatever it is, two leagues of whatever it is. So actually you've got some big names, you know, you'd have Bristol, Bath, you know, big names dropping into the second tier for this season. But there is competitive element there's promotion relegation this is all pie in the sky but what it does problem is, solving though well it reduces the number of games which is vital because that shouldn't be an arbitrary number i think that should be properly enforceable and players shouldn't be able to play more than a certain number of games whatever position they play but it reduces the number of games in theory it makes there are smaller blocks of games so you know it addresses another clear problem in english rugby which is me buying a season ticket and the star players aren't playing in half the games because they're away. That's completely bizarre to me. Always has been. It's completely bizarre. And you've got owners paying massive salaries to lads who ain't there. They're off doing something even harder. So when they finally come back, having been paid all the while, a lot of them, they're more tired than they would have been had they stayed. They sometimes get injured. There's all that stuff. Not everyone's Dan Cole and can just do it for 79 minutes a week for 300 years. There ain't many built like him. I want Ellis Genge to earn a million quid. I just love watching him. I love the bloke. I love everything about him, right? You can't pay him a million quid. You haven't got the money. What what you're doing is, Jim, you're being generous with someone else's money. 
and you're accepting that someone else who's rich is going to suffer a massive loss. And I think if you were the person losing all that money, I don't think you would pay them more because you would guarantee that in the short to medium term, that is definitely increasing your loss, 100%. I wouldn't be buying a sports team or a rugby team necessarily to make money. It's easy saying that because I'm never going to buy one. Never know if, if this takes off. If this flies, yeah, Rogan style, then yeah. I, I might. Yeah, I, might, I don't know if I buy Worcester though. Maybe wasps because they're Coventry. I know they're looking for a buyer. Yeah. But that yeah. is my emotional quick fix. And and it, look, it isn't sustainable, but I don't know enough about the other sports. So I am shooting from the hip and I'm talking rubbish in some sense that people think you've given a much detailed answer. This brings me back to the whole Saracens thing. What we're seeing or what we saw at Saracens is similar to what I think we'll see with Leicester. Leicester have got a fantastic academy some brilliant players coming through. Let's name a few of them. George Martin, the Chesham brothers, yeah. uh, Freddie Stewart, who's not agreed a contract yet because he obviously wants more than 200 grand that he's probably been offered and they can't either afford to pay him, which I think they can afford to pay him, but they can't fit him in the salary cap. Yeah. But what we saw at Saracens was actually by being as hardworking and diligent and supportive to the academy system. Because remember... Saracen before, no disrespect flats, back in the day, they had these superstars, didn't work. What they focused on and was... me. <laughs> you're a superstar. Now, now your profile's higher. You're up there with Pina. I was, out for dinner I was only there because I was cheap. He yeah. was asking for your front, so I was asking for you. Good bloke, isn't he? Great bloke. Loves yeah. to talk, loves to talk. But yeah. I mean, I'd listen to him all day. Doesn't ask that many questions, but no. he's a great bloke. Whatever he it. says goes. Yeah, I love it. So he had this idea on rugby. It was very different to yours and mine, but I forgot what it was. But Saracens, back in the day, they produced... Jackson Rays, George Cruz, Mara Toji, Nick Azikway, yeah. uh, Farrell, Tompkins obviously come through there. Alex Good came through there. So th these lads are working through the academy, getting paid an anomalous amount. They come through to what point they want to get paid. Obviously, because they go on to play for England, they go on to become British and Irish Lions. Mm. We're seeing that with Leicester now. Van Porfleet coming through, scrum half. I don't know what he gets paid. It wouldn't be much. The salary cap is stopping these homegrown players being able to earn. So it's, like, it's almost like debility. It's just almost like, well, what's the point? What's the point investing in these players? Because at some point, we're going to be sending them off to a Bath or a Bristol or to France to go and get paid. Because now players are thinking, well, there's not a lot of loyalty in the sport. My career is short. The health issues and stuff, we're watching these old fuckers coming out of the game and they're fucked. I need to get paid as much as I can. And this is where my mind is when Genji mentions, oh, I just want to get paid. So... That is where, shooting from the hip, if a Nigel Ray or a Dominic Sylvester or a Lansdowne at Bristol, clearly, and I've only named two, there's obviously 10 other clubs. That was three, but yeah. Yeah, okay. Want to invest and want, I say invest because you're looking for a return on investment, want to own a rugby team, then why can't we give them the ability to do what they want to do and buy success or buy and have the best players at their team? Because that is what they do in France. I know the model's different commercially and they've got money coming in from Canal Plus, but surely the only way we're going to grow in the championship and the model that you've mentioned as well is by people coming in with fuck you money being like, you know what, I probably ain't going to get a return on this. Ultimately, if Worcester or a Newcastle or a Glasgow or an Edinburgh whose salary, uh, I mean, then it, uh, you think compared to Leinster, say 14, 15 million, Glasgow, Edinburgh only put 3.5. So that they've decided where their salary cap is. They've decided their level. So they don't even spend up to the cap because there ain't one. So why can't we allow a Wasps if they don't want to put in five mil, but they only want to put in three? Because they're not going to be competitive 
anyway, so and it, when it gets to Europe, so you're talking about the guy with the Ferrari, you know, and the Ford Focus that that, that you own. Obviously, you're not allowed to race them in the street, but the Ferrari is going to be quicker than the Ford Focus. So when it gets to Europe and you're playing against Toulouse and Montpellier and all these teams and Leinster, surely you can't go into that game. You're, you're hoping on a one-off that you can have this big dream against them. But ultimately, with the amount of games in the Premiership, with the internationals and then Europe as well, you ain't going to win. There's so much to talk about. I know that there's a lot going on, but that is my opinion on why I don't think there should be a salary cap. But maybe not a salary cap. I think there should potentially be, going back to our media, tier one, tier two, and then maybe a tier three of players. So tier, tier one is the elite of the elite, and there should potentially be a level. Whatever that number is, Flats, 500 grand, 750 grand, or you can go as high as Pietar, a million pound. And maybe you should have access to five players that are in that. I'm spitballing here. And then tier two, up to 300 grand, 350 grand. They're your, interna- they're your Scotland internationals. I wish I got paid that. <laughs> you know? Mate, your... Hoggy's tier one, mate. Hoggy's tier yeah, one. But, well, he argues that he's tier one, but he's a lion, so that takes you into yeah, tier okay. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And then you've got the rest. So he's I'm got just. million dollar teeth, mate. I'll say that. He looks, he looks a million dollars. He looks actually, like, looks like got... a China doll. He actually looks a bit weird now. He looks like the, the old Barbie doll who's now. Yeah, the sort of 75 year old Hollywood actress or actor mm. that you look at and you're like, whoa. He looks a bit LA. Mickey Rourke. That. Mickey Rourke. Yeah, that's him. That's him. Hulk, Mickey Hulk. Yeah, so he Hulk. wants to be tier one. In my mind, I'm trying to work out how the game grows, how they can compete, how players get paid more. But understanding the commercial model clearly doesn't work. And, you know, Simon Orridge has messaged me as well saying, stop saying this, stop supporting Genji. Mark Evans thought the same. And. I can't. I can't look at it and be like, well, Piotr's getting paid a million pound. Why shouldn't he? Why shouldn't he? Why can't Genji get that? Why can't Freddie Stewart, now he's one of the best fullbacks in the world, get 500 grand? Why well, is he blocked by a rule? It's 17 questions in one. I know. Um, it's an opinion. It's, it was an opinion, not for you to answer, but that's just an yeah, opinion. Yeah, but I, in, 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 our, in sort of response to that, I think that there are, there are various reasons. If you continue to base what you think players should get paid on competing in Europe... I think you further endanger the English game because Ireland have got their house in order because they they're centrally contracted and there ain't many teams and they can rest who they want when they want. They will likely do better in Europe more consistently with that model. They can spend more money, they can rest guys. Guys play fewer games, more cash, they don't leave. So nailed it. The Premiership is not centrally funded. Maybe you could argue it should have been, you know, missed an opportunity. It's not. There are individuals and consortiums or whatever protecting their own interests that don't always tie in with that of the rugby union. This, you know, it was ever thus since it went pro. So then the French just have more money because the TV channels just give them a lot more money. Okay, they earn a lot more money. They play shed loads of games in France. Brutal. You know, never ending. Top four teams. There's 200 teams in it. I mean, it's only one team building the Prem. But buggering off to France for more money, losing all the English talent because of salary cap is more difficult now because there are foreign player quotas in squads so there ain't this big exodus anymore ain't happening Japan traditionally doesn't take that many players it certainly doesn't take that many English players so that isn't a massive worry I like you want the lads so to speak the top pros to get paid what they should pay and what's going to happen if they can't earn the 500 grand a year they think the market should be paid they think they should be paid some of them might go most of them won't you got the shit kicked out of you for years on mostly on less than 500 grand, except Grossly when he went, went to France. You got the shit kicked, and still you stayed. People get to this point, they get to professional level. People want money. People want Range Rovers and flash trainers and all that sort of stuff. People want to get their hair done for free, their plugs done for free, and their teeth done for free in Exeter. People want that, the perks that come with it. But 
the players get there because they love the game. I think the notion that half the best players, up, up and coming England players, aren't going to stay in the game because they can only earn a quarter of a million pounds a year instead of a bit more or whatever. They can only earn a lot instead of a shitload is unlikely. If it happens, address it. If there's a massive talent drain, where are they going to go? They ain't going to football, too competitive. Where are they going to go, mate? Rugby players generally aren't that good at other sports because they're lumps, right? They're sort of specialist athletes. So not like sod and where they're going to go. I think it's unlikely they will leave. Some might think sod this, I'll go to the city. Good on them. In terms of academy lads coming up and everyone needs paying, well, they, he was on this much and now he deserves this much because he was a kid and now he's a first team or an international. That is where you have to see players just not being offered contracts anymore. So it's ruthless. But if Jack Van Portfleet, JVP, has come in and you've got Young Z and you've got Wiggy there, at, at, I presume, I don't I don't care what the lads' contracts are, but those two won't be cheap. Young Z certainly won't. And then JVP comes and demands money. Well, you might have to let one of those guys go. That's how it works. Mark Evans, when the whole Saris thing happened, he said one of the key indicators for him was that they reached the top and won, but no one ever left. So what happens is, in the NRL, for example, is his example, you, you just can't win year after year after year so easily because your players' stock rises as you're winning and you can't afford to keep them because otherwise you're just going massively into debt, spending money you haven't got, breaking caps. So players leave. So unfortunately, if academy players come through and they are so valuable that you can't afford to lose them, you need to pay them a version of what they're worth on the market with salary caps accounted for and someone has to go, that is how it goes. Bristol... They started playing brilliantly. You know, Pat Lamb took over and they had Piatau, Lua Tua. They had Big Sink. They had Nathan Hughes, you know, class. Madigan, you know. And then you got like the Piers O'Connors, the Urins, the Harry Randalls, all those lads that come through. They rightly need to have pay rises because they've gone from being on the fringes, they're regular first team players. But if there is this much in the cap and there's not enough to pay them, they either go bye-byes, they accept less, or someone at the top, a top earner has to go to make room for them. If the only metric by which you you know, gauge the success of English clubs is how well they're competing, do you know what? We might have to take Europe on the chin a little bit for a few years. Get your own house in order. The Irish house is centrally funded and in order. French rugby is in a much better place. The model is better. They have more money. Their house finally is in order. The union and the clubs are one in terms of communication. The English rugby's house is not in order. You need to get it in order before you start worrying about competing with people who've got their shit together. That's mm. that's what I think. And there are some big decisions to be made. And I think what's happening at Worcester, we hope it gets sorted. Of course we do. If a load of lads end up out of contract and people out of work, it is a horrible, gruesome, unnecessary way to get actually a step closer to where Premiership Rugby needs to be, which is actually spending less money. You don't want it to happen to just one club. You want it to happen all clubs at the same level. It, it's not the way you'd want to do it. But you can't just say, oh, this is this is really unfortunate. It's crap for the lads. Here's an extra load of money because you're, you're perpetuating the unsustainability. So it's really, really difficult. And because it isn't fair on all the other lads who ain't got contracts now that had them last year. You're too nice in all this. You are like, you've got your hat on of the clubs, of obviously the owners, of the clubs that don't want to spend. Like, I think it's, it's an admirable place to be. Like, I really do. And you contextualise it well. Just lastly from me, the chicken, the egg scenario, let's just keep it really basic, is the growth of the game and also the appeal of kids coming into play. And they look at an Ellis Genge, and let's talk about him because we both love him. Say he's capped at 150 
200 grand a year, which is a decent amount of money. I get that. But in the grand scheme of professional sports, we know what he can do. We know the value of other players in his position globally is significantly more. Now, we know he's getting paid more than that. But if you know a Nigel Ray or a Lansdowne want to pay someone a significant amount of money because they think it's going to enhance their club, it's going to bring people to the stadium to watch them play, to make a hero out of them, and there's an you know an individuality about that. I know rugby's the ultimate team sport. I like that. Yeah, I but it le- but it leaves everyone else behind. Yeah. That makes the overall product crap. It waters it down. It waters it down quite quick. It just does. And you know what? If rugby players can only earn for almost everyone who's be- going to become a professional rugby player, earning the sort of salaries you're talking about as being in inverted commas shit salaries. We, we know they're not. I know you don't think they are. That's a lot of money. Is one thing. Firstly, it's a lot of money to almost everybody. Almost everyone in the UK, what Premiership rugby players can earn is a lot of money. Right, there's that. There will be the odd player who does his A-levels or her A-levels because the women's rugby will go the same way at some point. It seems to be, they seem to be doing things more sensibly on the financial front, frankly, but... Slower. Slower, yeah, but that's better a lot of the time. It's hindsight, isn't it? They got all the... Yeah, they can learn from mistakes and all that stuff. So you've got lads finishing you know, sixth form at whatever school and they've got an option and they could go and start a job at a bank. They could go to uni. They could take the salary knowing the odd one will think, do you know what? That's not enough. Do you know what? I want to be earning more than that when I'm 30, when I'm 25. There'll be the odd one. I bet you there are hardly any. Being a professional rugby player for kids who've played rugby since they were little kids is such, it's such a dream. It's such a passion. That's how they've got to the point of being offered a contract that they want money. We all want money. We all like money. But it's not their sole motivation. It wasn't yours. It was nice to get a bigger contract as time went on. I wasn't thinking I want to be pro so I can get paid what Jason Leonard gets paid. I wasn't, I doubt. But was Ellis Genge, when he grew up, smashing people when he was 14, 15? Was he thinking, I just want to get paid what Trevor Woodman gets paid? You know, he's probably thinking there's some nice cash there. But I'm very, very sure that it wasn't his sole motivation. So I think that the idea of capping Premiership players' salaries at shitloads instead of absolutely shitloads in real terms, the numbers you would lose would be vanishingly few. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. 
Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One last thing on this. Your wild place to talk about this. You don't do short questions. I don't do short answers. This is a recipe for disaster. Uh, Well, people are always saying, can you just ask a question? It's called the fucking Big Gym Show, so (laughs) I need to give my opinion. You're really well placed to talk about this, and I don't know how I'm going to migrate around asking the question, but I'm going to ask it because it's something on my mind. A big UFC fan, stick with me here. UFC have got a fantastic model, a blood sport, a contact sport. The men's part of that has grown astronomically to the point where they've now brought the women, well, Ronda Rousey a few years ago came in. Oh now, the, now women's UFC is J'adore. huge. J'adore. It, it's it's yeah. crazy to watch. Yeah. Rugby feels like it's been forced into this position of growing women's rugby. We're talking about all this right now around yeah. men's rugby being on its fucking knees, on its ass, some are on their back and some are underground, right? <laughs> yeah. Where there's this appetite, of course, but also there's this pressure to grow women's rugby, yet there's no money in the men's game at the minute. On one side, we're, well, why are we not doing this? Why are we not doing that? The women need to be paid significantly more when we haven't got the men's part of it in order. It's a tough question to answer, but it's something that I'd love to talk to you about. I, I, don't, I don't think, I think there are some men who think that women's sport is being forced upon them. I think it isn't. I think you can just not watch it if you don't want to watch it. Mm. It's not forced upon anybody. I think that, Women's rugby, for example, the football with the Euros was frigging great. How good was the class, mate? It's not forced upon anybody. Comparisons with the men's game in in rugby are completely predictable. It's always going to happen. And a lot of them are fair and reasonable. A lot of them kind of are pointless. It's a different sport in a sense. Same sport, but same, same, but different. I think that in a sense, because it's been forced upon the women's game to move more slowly because there's less visibility. There are fewer playing numbers for sort of forever nationally because it was seen as a boys' sport for until very recently, right, in the grand scheme of rugby, seen as largely as a, a boys' sport. Of course, girls and women have always played, but it wasn't there weren't the numbers that there were of boys. So that's changing. And I think that what they're doing right, probably because they kind of have to do it right, is take it slow financially. Take it slow. So 2017 final in you know I was I was there with ITV doing the World Cup over in Belfast I think it was at Ulster I can't remember England started well and New Zealand came back and won it and all that the numbers were I remember 2.35 million people watched that on telly that's a lot considering pretty much no women's rugby had been on telly not much of it at all really before that's big numbers that is I realise it's terrestrial TV it's not BT Sport or Sky but compare that to Bath Leicester on a Friday night. I mean, it's 10 times the numbers roughly, right? Because it's it's free telly, which helps. People don't have to watch it. People who pay for subscriptions tend to watch more sport because they're keynotes, hence they're paying, and they paid for it, so they want to get their money's worth. Terrestrial viewership is all optional. It's all discretionary. So it's often a really true number. Those numbers rise. You look at the November games that England played at, you know, at six ways against the USA. Not a great game, 89-0 to England. Packed crowd. 
great vibe. People love it. 89 nil was probably perfect, really, for the sort of new viewers and the kids because there's loads of tries to cheer. They're not concerned. Kids aren't concerned necessarily about, you know, competitive games and all that sort of stuff. So I think that women's sport, when you say it's forced upon you, it's got more column inches than ever before it's on TV more than ever before. If you don't like it as much, like that's cool. I've never been bothered about whether it's men's or women's particularly because I'll tell you two reasons and I'll be completely frank about it. One, it's just sport. I just like sport. I'm not a sports addict at all, but I just like sport. So when, you know, women started coming to the UFC, I very happily watched that. I don't turn it off because it's a woman. So, oh my God, they're going to smack the shit out of each other. This is going to be great. You know, so Ronda Rousey in particular, you know, I was probably in love with her for a period of time, Jim. Um, There's that. And also it's my job to research, read around, prep and comment out on sport. It's my job. I get paid to do that, right? I, I do it because I love it, but I wouldn't do it for free because I wouldn't have any time to do anything else. So people would say, I play rugby free. No, you wouldn't. You can't train all day, every day and play at weekends and not have another job. You can't be have a full-time job for free. You can't do it. So being completely frank about it, I get paid the same to do men's or women's. So I've just never cared about, do you want to do Women's World Cup? Yeah, great. I really enjoy it. I like the games. You know, doing what we do, it's not like the commentators of old where you do a Saturday afternoon and no one ever sees you again. You maybe have a faceless column in a magazine. We're interacting with players all the time. So I've got to know lots of these girls, spend a lot of time with a lot of these girls. A lot of them I'd call mates. You know, we're not best friends. Like I'm not best friends with a lot of the rugby lads, but we're mates, a lot of us. So it's my job. I really enjoy my job. If someone said you got the National Schools Championship final coming up at Twickenham, it's on ITV and same standard contract. Yeah, I'll do that. No problem. I don't really care who's playing, to be honest. Like in a, I don't mind who's playing. That's the point. So there's that. And if you feel like it's being forced upon you, you ain't got to watch it. Like boxing is not forced upon me. I choose to watch it. I don't watch a lot, but I choose it. It's not forced. But the day after the Joshua fight or the few days after that, I look on my newspaper apps on my phone and whatever, and it's just all the columns are about that. There's a lot of coverage, but it's not. I haven't got to read it. I'm interested to read it. But I, I think there's more, way more visibility of it but that doesn't mean it's forced upon you because I think it isn't. It's all discretionary. It's all optional. I just happen to like it. That's why I asked you the question. I might not have contextualised it as well as you've answered. Well, no, I haven't. No, not maybe. <laughs> but I think it's important, Flats, because there's not many people or can I call, I call you your arms up big, an alpha male who talks about it like that. And I spoke about it with Ben Gulliver when we were chatting mm. about the champ and his wife played for England and, and Saracens. And we was not not stumbling through talk. I was because mm. it's not something that I'm used to. Albeit I've got my wife and two girls at home and mm. equal opportunity and everything. And we watched the football and we loved it. But you're in it, and people might ask why you are in it because yeah. you, you're in the men's game, you're in the the women's game as well. And I think you've contextualised it really well because the majority of our listeners are going to be men. With all the other stuff you and I've got going on, like, would I commentate on 30 men's games a year for free? No, because that means I'm leaving my family at weekends. I love my job, but I do a lot of prep. I'm missing my kids' parties. I'm missing dinners with my mates. I'm missing weddings all the time, all that sort of stuff. Be funeral soon, Jim, the age we're getting to. Missing all that stuff. Would I do that for free? No, not as much as I do. I do bits. I wouldn't do it. Would I do 30 women's games a year for free? No, it's my job. I love my job, but it is my job. So for me, it's not a lot more complicated than that. It's just my job. And if I, if I really didn't like women's rugby for whatever reason, I wouldn't do those jobs. I'm not, I'm not obsessed by fees and that sort of stuff. I wouldn't do those jobs, but I like them. And I think I look like an alpha male and I'm confident and I'm big and that sort of stuff, but I'm probably not that alpha in that you said I'm too nice about things. What I really try and do 
I never manage it properly. I really, really try and achieve balance on opinions because I've always been quite reactive, emotionally quite reactive. And I think I, I don't try and pander to everyone. I mean, what I'm effectively saying about, for example, the financial state of English rugby is that I don't necessarily think it's perilous, but it's not great. What I'm effectively saying is I don't think the players should be paid as much as they think they should be paid in a lot of cases. And I'm then going to go out and see all the players in the Premiership for the next eight or nine months. So I'm saying that this player might want, JVP might want a zillion quid. He can't have it unless Youngsy loses his contract or Wiggy gets binned, whatever. You know what I mean? That's what I'm actually saying. Mm. So those things aren't necessarily nice, but hopefully there is an element, a degree of balance to my views because I read stuff and see stuff. My initial reaction is that's bullshit, not having it. And then I think just... I always think, imagine I'm being asked a question on telly is what I think. Let's actually try and achieve a balanced answer about this that can't you can't pander to everyone, but isn't just kind of explosive and emotional because they're fun, but they don't actually get you anywhere a lot of the time. Well, that's the place I'm still in. I'm trying to get to that place where I breathe, you know? I, I'm in a nightclub after 30 beers. As in, I'm, I'm hungover. Someone's Judas me in the back and I turn around and flip. And, yeah, I'm, in, we- and I'm in prime. You're in your pro- yeah, you're not not last yeah, weekend. Yeah, in, not in right Ed's now. Game. It wasn't Billy's game. It was Ed's game, not them. But no, equally, there's massive value to that. And I say punchy stuff, and I dick around and whatever, and take the piss out of people and mock myself like you do. But you're good value. That's the way you are where you are. Like people like listening to you, or you wouldn't have this amazing studio. But people like that. But you don't tell people how it is, and then earmuff it when they try and answer back. You mm. put things to people, and you listen to alternative perspectives on things, and Lots of people don't do that. Lots of people decide how it is. They presume omniscience and it doesn't work. Like no, no one knows everything. No one. While we're talking so honestly and candidly, let's get your snapshot on the season and your beloved bath. We can say it. it's not even up for debate. Struggled. This season, I know every season's going to be you know hotly contested. It's hard to call. But a lot of teams underperformed last year. Bath, obviously. Bristol, Exeter. You could arguably say Sale. Some over delivered I think Leicester over delivered I didn't see it coming you know Northampton maybe didn't see it coming Gloucester overperformed some might say Northampton weren't brilliant throughout the season they became brilliant Mm. they were the best team to watch second half of last season I mean whenever I got my little emails through with dates on it and it's like going to Saints I'm literally happy days that's the game I want to watch almost regardless of who they're playing I think Bath it can't get any worse and it was just an awful season and you know sometimes you play in a team and it just clicks and you just find a way to win they clicked the wrong way. They just found ways to lose games. I never thought when they got beaten 64-0, was it, by Gloss? I didn't watch that and think it was the outright physical capitulation everyone else thought it was. There were lads out there that were really, really trying. You can't tell me Tom Dunn doesn't try, right? The guy's a meathead. He won't stop going. Sam Underhill was exceptional in that game, but I watched that game and I watched it again because I thought it is a capitulation in a sense but what they were, were they were so far away from being organised and cohesive that it made them look like they weren't trying. There was one point, I think um, Aki, uh, Mark Atkinson scored. It was almost like this is embarrassing. And the person who was on the inside who didn't close the gap was Tom Dunn. He's a good gauge because he is all effort. He is not where he is because of genetics or skill. He is their effort, pure effort. For him not to be there, they were all over the place, defensively all over the place, attacked no cohesion. They didn't know the patterns. They didn't look like they knew what the patterns were going to be. Charlie Yules never comes off the field looking anything other than like he's been dragged over a hedge nine times backwards in the rain. 
lads were trying. They were just so poorly put together. It's not all the coaches' fault, it's players too. But I think anyone arriving there who adds a modicum of structure, so defensively they need to improve, of course they do, organisation and a bit of structure to their game. So everyone knows when we're here, we do this or this. They're the only two options. When we're here, this is the only option. I think it'll be robotic to watch Bath for a bit. I think it might not be that fun. It might be a bit kick and clap. But I think to a point, they got themselves into such a state that almost anybody could arrive and add value and improve things. Absolutely. I was chatting to George Skivington and Gloucester, I thought, were fantastic. Yeah. Last season, the way that they played, obviously young English coaches, I don't want to say they've overachieved. I keep saying that. It's it's bollocks. Like They've obviously achieved what they've achieved. But who else do you see? But what he was saying, my point is, sorry, what he was saying, he said, without sounding like a nose, he said it's hard to call. They've got Wasps first up. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to say yeah. who you reckon's going to win it top four. There's also all that to consider about who's losing the most players for this season. It's a World Cup season. There's Novembers. There's Six Nations and World Cup. There's loads of lads ain't going to play that much is the reality of it. Bristol? Yeah, Brist- Bristol again. It's an interesting one because I'm not sure. I'm going to Bath-Bristol one. I'll tell you about that in a minute. It's a bit of a dodgy one. Friday night, isn't it? Yeah, That's I'm first going. Game. It's dodgy though. And Bristol were saved by Bath last year because no one really talked about them. Bristol were really, really poor last season when you compare them to the standards they set a few seasons before that. They look really unthreatening to defend against. Their star players didn't shine and that's because I think they looked off it in attack as defensively they weren't great but off it in attack I thought of course they missed a few key players for periods but Randranger would come back and the greatest players on the planet wouldn't have much of an impact and it it's not like basketball where just give it to LeBron and it will happen there's not space you need to create space for these people a lot of the time so I wonder how effectively the same group of players and the same group of coaches can reset at Bath, you have this major change with a new director of rugby and a new defence coach, and that kind of gives you it's starting afresh. Whereas with Bristol, it's almost like you're you know you're sort of halfway through a marathon, and the first half's gone really poorly, and you got a reset. But there's kind of there's no new voices there, and it's kind of right do what we wanted to do, but do it better. I'm really interested to see how they reset because they went from being a brilliant attacking team to actually one of the poorer attacking teams. I'm not talking about stats. I know what the stats are and all that. Google it if you want. But I watch teams when they've got the ball and I imagine being on the field and having to defend them. Northampton, waking nightmare to defend. Bristol, not that threatening a lot of last season. So I'd like to see, you know, Callum Sheedy given the opportunity or to play flatter to the line and really start threatening people. Piers O'Connor, one of the best players in the Prem the last few seasons. Like a lot of players at Bristol last season, reasonably quiet. He's too good to be quiet. Randrandra's too good to be quiet. It means that the attack isn't working if you're not hearing those guys' names every two or three minutes every game. So I'm interested to see in attacking terms what they've done. Anyone coming through that you reckon might shock London Irish? I reckon Sale might be good. Now they've lost 40 for... He did his Achilles, didn't he, in the yeah, final? Yeah, mate, Mingan. Yeah, he was awesome towards the end. Oh, God, he was good. I'd like to see Northampton get somewhere. That's who I'd like to see get Really, somewhere. under Douse. I love the way they play. Oh, yeah, under Douse, yeah. I forgot about that. Douse as well. I'd love to see them do something because I think... You know, it's just one of the grounds that we end up going to quite a lot, more than a lot of the others. And it's probably conveniently placed up the M1 or whatever it is. But spend a bit of time and just think that is a it's a really good club. It's really well run. And you've just got a lot of great people in key positions. I'm not talking about off the field. Off the field too, but you've got the Courtney's, who's just the best. Lewis Ludlam is just class act. Dan Bigger, class act. Alex Mitchell, class act. Hutchinson. I mean, the list goes on. Just so many players who are allowed to be themselves a comfortable playing brilliant rugby I'd love them to do something this year yeah yeah absolutely last question Flats around the media now I was going to go and talk to you about, but you know that that's already there 
tier one absolutely smashing it, but more so players so. and access to players in the media. Do you think there's growth? Because I'm specifically talking about growing the game. Mm. We've seen Genji, we've seen Marla, love him, loathe him. I'm a loathe. Oh, I'm a like. I don't know what I think about Marla, but don't you? I, I don't know. I'm not 100 percent sure. No. Why? Because he don't. He don't like me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you don't like him? I kind of like him, but I don't want to like him. Do you know what I mean? But some of it is now. I think before there was a natural part to it. I think now some of it's staged, of course, but he's got a platform and he should go down that route. I think Genji is natural. I love it. I love that. I, th I think it's important. What are you? Because you're, you're, you're a bit traditional. You're a traditionalist as well, aren't you? I am, yeah. Do you like them putting themselves out there? Or I think it's great. Like this whole um, we need global stars that transcend sport we need a lebron james we need a michael jordan or we need a ronaldo we've yeah, tried that fine. with marrow yeah fine i mean ultimately putting someone out there doesn't do it what does that is someone actually being sufficiently charismatic and engaging that people want to hear from him or her whether or not they watch the sport they play that's the point so some of these lads don't want to be out there owen farrell doesn't want to transcend sport he wants to kick goals, run a team, and eventually and coach. Get he wants to be elite at what he does forever, and he doesn't need anyone patting him on the back and putting him on telly. And, and I, there's nothing and wrong I with that. I respect that. I love that. Yeah, I think he's a great bloke. And if I had a team, I'd want him 100%. I'd want him in it 100%. Everyone um, speaks ev about him like that. Everyone. Yeah, 100%. Whatever team I'm running, almost whatever sport, mate, cricket, he can come and play. <laughs> I think he's exceptional. But these people are engaging. And you've got to remember that. I really like Joe for what, what it's worth. Now, I've, I want to say something horrible about someone so you don't think I'm too nice. But I really like Joe. Mostly, I like the way he plays. I think he's incredibly honest. And I think he's... His effort levels are enormous, and you can tell that his effort levels are have been enormous for a long time. I respect that hugely. He's very, very good at what he does, and he's got better at what he does, which shows that there's a, a real work rate, which I respect blindly, but I respect it. What it's really worth remembering is that, like when you comment out in a game, you and I are not his audience. Current and former professional rugby players are not his audience. We are 0.00001% of the audience. I'm not commentating on... England against USA last weekend, or I'm not commentating on a game this weekend, thinking about what Jim and Goody and Shanks and Bolsh and Tins might think of what I'm saying. Of course it enters your mind. The lads will hammer me for that. Of course it enters your mind. We're not the audience. The audience are rugby fans, and they love it. There will be lots of people who, when I'm dicking around on telly, thinking I'm funny, laughing at my own jokes, there will be ex-pros and current pros who think I'm a dick. There will be, and don't think I'm funny, and they'll be irked by it. If they weren't rugby players, they might not be so irked by it, but they know me a bit and they might think it's a bit performative or something or that's not what he really thinks. I mean, it generally is what I think, but we all perform a bit. I think we all do. And people like Joe get people watching rugby content. is a horrible word. Rugby content. Oh, that's my life. Who, yeah, who, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who otherwise, swap the O for a who otherwise wouldn't watch it. And I think that's important. I think he's very bright. I think he is an engaging bloke. We're not Bezzies or anything like that. But whenever I see him in a car park or whenever we're in the same place for a beer, which I think has been once ever, I really, really like his company and think you would too. And that I try not to get very close to players. So I don't, I'm not constantly messaging or trying to meet up or anything like that. Uh, I try and keep very separate from all that. And it's difficult because we're so merged with them a lot of time with so much contact, but I try and keep really separate, except for Will Collier, who plays for Queens because we talk barbecue shit all the time. So I'm biased towards him now. Helpfully, he's the best scrummager in the Prem probably, so it makes it a bit easier. But yeah, there's that. I like all of that. I think it's good. And in terms of access to players, isn't this is not what you meant, but 
access to players in the media, I think we haven't got it right yet. The media know that without the players and the coaches, we're not there. I think there is insufficient acknowledgement from rugby players and staff that without the media, they're not there. They need us as much as we need them. And I think that isn't always recognised. I think the clubs are great as a rule. Clubs are really cool with stuff. Most of them, I think, not all of them, most of them, I don't have to get access much. When I'm doing Six Nationsy stuff or World Cupy stuff, I am often seeing exactly what access you're getting. It's really often crap and really restrictive. The Australia tour I've just been on. So good. It's really good. Really good tour. The access was great. Whatever. That's what I mean. The stand, stand sports, was it? There? Yeah. Yeah, class. Loads of access. But also, I think. English TV, British TV channels are really up for that. It's just suggest an idea and I'll do it. But quite often it's the, it's the teams that say, no, we're mm. not having that. Old school. The last World Cup in Japan, Access, mate. I mean, you want me to not be nice about something? Oh, go on. Really nice people. Access was a joke. It was like you put an idea forward and I'd say, why don't we take Genj and Sinclair for sushi in Tokyo and just have a chat. Cameras on, just chat. They can have editorial control if they want. It doesn't matter what they say. Just And then why don't Jamie Jordan, Elliot Daly love coffee? Let's go to this. this really cool coffee shop, Deus, Michigan, whatever it's called. Let's take them there, have coffee and a toasty and chat shit. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. I then see the players in the street or in the hotel and I could say to them, oh, do you want to... I never would never do that. It's unprofessional. I know the players are up for that. I know they don't mind growing their profiles. Jamie George is amazing with the media. He's completely genuine, articulate. He'd be up for that. It'd be crack. Turn the cameras off. We'll probably stay for half an hour and chat shit because he's a good bloke. No, no, no. You've got this area and it's like you're putting a room the size of this studio with three camera crews in it. So you can't do an interview because you can hear the other camera crews. You're in a windowless basement of a hotel in Japan and you're like, we're meant to be interviewing Joe Marler. Yeah, we no, you can't have Joe Marler. Well, Joe doesn't want to do it. Well, no, you can't. No, he doesn't want to do it. Two minutes later, Joe comes out or it's something like that. Joe comes out and he's like, yeah, I'll do as long as you want. We're out there for 20 minutes talking shit. It's absolutely brilliant. Brilliant interview. There's this fear, there was at least this fear from the staff about releasing these players. And I remember getting back and there was an article about what amazing access there'd been to the England players. I'm like, oh my God, you were not where I was. We couldn't get a fucking thing away. Mm. All we want to do is take them out for dinner. You can come if you want. We're not stitching anyone up. We are the sole broadcaster for the UK. This is it. ITV is it. And you're not letting us take Elliot Daly and Jamie George for a flat white in town. Like, this is mental. Or just do what Rassi does and just put it all on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, that's, exactly. Yeah, yeah. with his yeah. bulldogs. Um, Flats, that was absolutely class. For anyone who's not listening, who's just gone straight to the end, basically, we have not solved many problems. We've Nothing. given opinions. But what I'm gauging from you is you don't want any substitutes. So make them run for significantly less money. <laughs> yeah. Bring Joe Marler on as the next face of ITV and put everything out on social media like Rassi because that's the platform. I'm joking. No, that was absolutely class, mate. Cheers, Jim. Well done, mate. Cheers, mate. Keep going.